We are going to continue right now with our series that is a continuation of the series we had before our pastors went on long service leave. Um, Some more of I Am Who I Am from Pastor Chris. We've been learning about Jesus and who He is. So let's welcome Him right now. Uh, That's me, not Jesus. Thank you, thank you for that great intro. You guys may be seated, and you guys too. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't know what's happening. I swear I saw those two in C3 Kids the other week. Um, and here they are up on stage. Time moves quickly. Oh, good to see Barry still connected. <laughs> Hey, who, who remembers the, the journey so far? Rhetorical question, nobody. Um, we went through the Old Testament to discover God's plan for humanity and who God is. And we got to the point where God reveals himself as Jesus. And so to understand who Jesus is, we've discovered we've had to go right back to the beginning again. And look in Genesis as to what Genesis says about the appearance of Jesus. And last week we talked about Adam and Eve and how they did a, a really good job of looking after the garden and uh, stuffed up right royally. And how that God promised a Messiah to Adam and Eve. And so the next step in this deliverance program that God is putting into place jumps forward several hundred years. And we meet this guy called Abram. And he seems a pretty random choice. Um, God just starts to talk to him. uh, Genesis chapter 12 uh, basically starts off, verse 1, The Lord had said to Abram, and it doesn't say, by the way, glad to meet you, Abram, I'm God. It's just said, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, how many of us receiving a text purporting to be from God would say, Oh, sure. Okay, let's go. You would uh, automatically put it in the spam or whatever else or delete it. But God didn't just stop there. He makes a promise to Abram. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we, we... it doesn't tell us why God chose Abram. Do you like the name? Well, obviously not, because he changed it. <laughs> Did it. Was he good looking? He might have been, but the story doesn't tell us. It just indicates that through God's love and mercy, he decides to start his counter-revolution to combat the corruption and evil creeping into his creation with this guy. And so I actually want to camp out a bit here. I want us to talk about this because I believe this is something that we could actually take to heart and, and I want to actually pray for some people this morning because the story of Abram is actually a very good reflection of sometimes how we struggle with God speaking to us. We struggle with hearing God or even knowing whether it's God or whether God is even speaking. And so there's, there's a lot of questions that Abram might have asked. And I think there's a lot of questions that we ask because 
we come to faith in Christ with a recognition that God wants to use us. Is, is anybody, is that, is that just me? Uh, who believes God has a plan and a purpose for them? This is not a rhetorical question. And so we're faced with, with a lot of questions. I mean, I'd like to ask God a few things, like, why would you use me? And I, I mean, I know some of the answers to that, because like Abram, I'm good looking and I've got a nice name. Um, but so, something in the back of my mind thinks that's possibly not why God was. And then there's this, like, how is God using me? How can I hear from God? Why isn't God using me? How do I know whether he is or not? How do I know I'm doing what God wants? All of these questions, perhaps there's too many questions for one person, but I've thought all of these things. And so we struggle with this idea of how do we know? I mean, how did Abram know to do what God had asked? And so the interesting thing here, and I think the key for us, is that Abram wasn't God's first choice. So you can breathe a sigh of relief. I mean, the, the, first, the first real job I got was at Flinders Medical Centre uh, back in 1908. And uh, um, I, I was thrilled. They actually rang me up and asked if I wanted to apply for the position because I had my name down with a, 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 an employment agency of some sort. I can't remember what it was. But I, I was chuffed. I thought, somebody wants me for a job. And so I went and I did the interview and everything. I got the job. And uh, a month or so in, I discovered that the first three applicants had accepted the job and then rejected it. And I was fourth in line. <laughs> and you sort of think, well, that's sort of a bit insulting. But hey, it was a brilliant job. I was not insulted. But I wasn't their first choice. But it didn't make me any less effective at the job. It didn't make my love for the job any different. But it's what happened to the people who didn't take the job that's important. Because it's interesting if we read this story, and I don't know whether you notice on your, your phone or your tablet, but most stories in the Bible have, they have chapter headings and then verse headings. And what I read you was chapter 12, verse 1. You sort of think, well, obviously that's the beginning of the story. But you've got to watch these things because the story actually begins in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. And if we read that, it actually says, this is the account of Terah's family. And Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. And so this is actually the story of Terah's family, not Abram's. And if we look at verse 31 we see something interesting. It says, One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Now notice it says, still in Haran. It just doesn't say he died in Haran. I mean, it's like saying he grew up in Adelaide and he died in Adelaide. He said he was still there. It implies he was on his way somewhere else. You see, we, there's no record in the Bible of whether God actually spoke to Terah or not. But he was on the same journey that Abraham was on. He was leaving for Canaan and he got bogged in Haran. And, and a long time. He lived for 205 years. 
and was still there. But somewhere in his story, there was still that, that thought or that, that knowledge that he was supposed to be somewhere else. And so his problem was he stopped at Haran and never moved on. Has anybody ever felt that it's about time they moved on? Because this is, this is what happens when we ask questions of God. If we're uncertain of what God's plan is for our life, if we're wondering whether God is using us or not, if you despair of ever hearing from God, we need to ask ourselves one question. Have we settled on our journey? Have we stopped? Are we bogged down? Are we stuck? There are many ways we can get stuck. We can be focused on our day-to-day struggles. We can be making plans but never seeing them put into action. We can suffer from self-doubt and never, never move forward. We can have a crisis of faith. We can start to believe that God has finished with us. I mean, if you've been a Christian long enough, you hear stories of people who say, yes, yeah, back when I was young and on fire and God spoke to me and did these things and it's like, it's, it's the next generation's turn. Who, who told you that? I think the only time God ever finishes with you is when you're dead. And that if you're prepared to move forward in your life, God will provide the vigor and the vitality and the passion that you need to do whatever he wants as long as you keep moving forward. As long as you're not prepared to sit and say, ah, leave it to the next generation. Leave it to the neighbors. Leave it to the next church down the road. We'll just sit back and enjoy the rest of our life. Because we've been through hard times. We've struggled. Amen? But I think we, we have this wrong idea about God and struggle. Because if it was left up to me, I always find that your struggles are there so you appreciate the rest afterwards. Does anybody, anybody feel like that? You know, you go through hard times, it's like, whew, that's a great story. And so around the campfire at the, ne- the next um, holiday, you talk about, oh, you should have seen what happened in March this year. Oh, I went through so much struggle, but this year's been a cruise from there on in. And you can talk about that event for the rest of your life. Life's been pretty cruisy, but I remember March in 2019 was a real cracker. That was really bad. And, and we can cruise on that story for the rest of our life. Have you had a hard life? Yes, I've had a hard life. I remember March of 2019, <laughs> but it's 2034. Oh, but we don't. But see, God has a different attitude. To stra- he, he enables us and allows us to go through problems to strengthen us. God's a believer in the gym. And what happens once you've been strengthened by a struggle? If you then relax and don't do anything, you lose that strength. God's plan for your struggles is that once you've overcome one struggle, you're strong enough to overcome the next one. None of you are looking very excited at that news. But the thing is that why build yourself up to be strong in faith, in, in, in knowledge, uh, in, in the power of God, just to say, yeah, that was once. I'm just going to relax and, and just turn up on church on Sundays and praise and worship and listen to the preacher tell me I should be doing something else. We need to understand that if we want to hear from God, if we want to be doing what God has asked us to do, we've, we've got to keep moving. 
We've got to actually keep getting stronger, keep searching for new challenges and new horizons and new things to do. Because that's where God speaks to us. If you're stuck, God is often silent. If you're in one place. And sometimes this is not your fault. Sometimes it's a question of we've struggled, we don't know where to go next. It's just that we feel we've lost our way. Sometimes we've been through life circumstances, we're ashamed of ourselves. We, haven't, we didn't handle the last problem terribly well. And therefore we think, well, God can't use me anymore, I've stuffed up. Hello, welcome to life. God's very premise is that when we stuff up, the great thing about his presence in our life is that if we go to him and tell him we've stuffed up, he says, don't worry, dust you off. You're all good to go. Don't worry about what happened. Move on because I am with you. He's the God who's with us. And so on, I, before I move on, I actually want to pray for some people this morning because it's easy to get stuck. We have those questions going around in our head. Am I hearing from God? Am I doing what God wants? Should I be doing more? Have I rested long enough? after the last debacle. And so, can I ask us all to stand for a moment? And if you're here this morning, and something I've said has, has triggered this idea in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, I'm stuck. I, I, I need to move forward, but I don't know how. Or it may be that, so that small voice that I've been hearing is God and he's telling me to do that thing that I don't want to do that he's telling me. There may be all of these thoughts going around in your head, but let me tell you, if you want to be sure that God is speaking to you, if you want to be sure that you're on the path that God has set out for you, you've actually got to take a step. You've actually got to say, no, God, I'm not done with you because you're not done with me. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to revitalize that fire, that spirit that you've put inside me. And I'm not going to get stuck in Haram. I'm moving forward to the promised land. No matter what struggles might be in front of me, I'm lifting my eyes again over the circumstances, over the problems. And I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus and keep moving forward because Jesus is still using me. So if that's... if Can I ask... Everyone just to close their eyes. And if that's you, you feel that you'd really like the impetus to move on. You don't know whether it's because God's not speaking to you or because your circumstances have ground you down. But if that's you, can, I, can you just raise your hand quickly so I can see it, so I know who I'm, I'm praying for? Thanks, guys. Okay. Pop those hands down. And I just want to pray. Let, let's all just lift our hands to heaven right now. Mighty God, you have named us. You have saved us. And you have given us plans and a purpose for your kingdom. Holy Spirit, right now, ignite that fire. Reignite that fire if that's what needs, is needed. But fan into flames that faith, that passion, that drive to actually hear from you, to actually do your will and your purpose for our lives. Lord, come right now. Holy Spirit, fill us with your power and your presence. 
Lord, whatever it is that's holding us back, whatever it is that is shackling us to our circumstances, to our state of mind, we bind it and we break it in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, open our ears to hear from you. Enable us to move forward. Thank you, Lord, that you fill us today with your plan and purpose for a future building and growing your kingdom in whatever path you lead us on. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Awesome. Thanks, George. You can actually take a seat if your fingers are tired or... You know that Jordan's raising money for Movember? There is, one, there is one growing. So he has a Facebook page, by the way. This is a free plug. Um, uh, so go on there, uh, donate some money for Movember. Uh, that'd be great. You may all be seated. Um, we're going to continue with, with this story uh, with a bit of hope. I mean, uh, hopefully you can see that God, God isn't picky I mean, the word he said to, to Moses when Moses asked him, who am I to go and tell uh, the Israelites um, that they're, they're freed? Uh, God said, it doesn't matter who you are. The fact is, I'm going with you, and that's what's important. And the same thing is, is with us. We, we need to hold on to the fact that God with us is more powerful than anything else that we can take into life. And so if we, we look at, again at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, We'll see that this is actually a lot of poetry. Uh, for instance, he's not going to make Abraham into a great nation. I've never seen a person turn into a nation, and uh, God isn't actually implying that. But what he's saying, he, he's using poetry to say that something is going to come from your obedience, which is going to change the world. It's really quite symbolic. Now, we know, you know, again, if I was God, Abraham wouldn't have been my first pick. He'd been married for 90-odd years, and he and his wife had not managed to have kids in that whole time. And believe me, they'd been trying. And so, you know, he, he's not, I'm thinking, you know, let's pick a, a virile, fertile human being. Abram is not the person to pick. And so, you know, God, God is happy to work with what he has. Um, so, you know, you should be encouraged again, amen. That uh, he's not looking for the perfect person. He's just looking for somebody who said, Pick me, I'm here. So God says he's going to bless them and their families. He's going to help those who bless them and make life pretty horrible for those who oppose them. And this is great, but why? Does he, does he just want this random couple to have a good life? What is Yahweh's ultimate goal here? And if you look at that, that last line, it says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so as always, God's ultimate goal is to bless the people who hate him and the people who have rebelled against him. He set in motion a plan to rescue them and bless them and somehow he's going to do it through this family. And so the story goes forward from here and uh, the promises come true. Abraham and Sarah have a first child and then they have a bunch of other kids. Their family becomes huge, first dozens of people, then hundreds of people, and then thousands of people. And through a, a crazy series of events, they end up, because of a, few, of a food shortage, uh, wandering into the country of Egypt and you've all heard this part of the story everybody's once watched Prince of Egypt you know what happens in Egypt does everything go well for the Israelites in Egypt no it is a bad thing 
Um, they're doing what God has uh, told them to do. Uh, you know, his, his, um, his command was to multiply like rabbits. Um, and, the Israel, uh, and the Egyptians freak out because they've got this immigrant population that's multiplying like crazy and they feel threatened. And so they see it as a threat. They begin to kill the Israelites and enslave them and just grind them into the dust. Sounds like... No, we won't go there. And so Yahweh sends Moses to deliver the family of Abraham and he brings them out of Egypt to the foot of this mountain. And at the foot of the mountain, the story takes a huge leap forward again because what Yahweh did for Abraham, singling him out as a person, now he's going to do for a whole group of people and continue his commission to bless them, to make them a nation. And this is how he sets it up. So in Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, it says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you out, brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you ought to speak to the Israelites. So you have this group of people redeemed out of slavery. They owe their lives and their very existence to Yahweh, to his grace and his mercy, and he wants to enter into a covenant with them. If they honour him as their rescuer and their creator and so on, and if they keep the terms of his covenant, what's going to follow from here? He's going to Make them a nation. They're there to follow the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic laws. And he singles them out not just as another nation, but as a nation of priests. And you sort of think, well, that's, that's weird. Why is he, what, what does it mean as a nation of priests? No, I don't know either. Um, no. <laughs> It's actually an important concept for understanding Jesus because if we look at the New Testament, of course, which we're not allowed to do at the moment because we're reading the Old Testament, but it talks of Jesus as a priest. And so priests in, in many cultures all over the world, not just in the Bible, are these mediating figures. They're go-betweens between the gods and the people. And so in this case, you have Yahweh, the, the creator God, and the God of all the nations, and then you have the family of Abraham as this family of priests or a whole nation of priests now. And so they're called to be representatives. But who are they representing to God? What does it say here? Yep, nothing. Uh, but we've just read Genesis 12. So we know that this family exists for the sole purpose of Yahweh's blessing to reach all the nations. So we, we can basically guess that the nation of Israel is representing everybody else the whole earth. And so they're going to be the test case, if you like, um, to show people what it's like to live in really close proximity to God, to be shaped by his word, his justice, his character, that how they, how they organise their lives is going to be a beacon to the nations because of their, the blessing that God pours on them, because of the obedience they show God, because as the nations look at Israel, they're just going to be able to see how wonderful it is to live under the, under the wings of Almighty God. They are the chosen nation. This is, this is going to be fabulous. 
People are just going to look and say, yeah, we want to be like the Israelites. Look at how obedient to God they are. Look at how God is blessing them. And this works very rarely. In fact, after a while, not at all. But despite all that, God's desire was to actually live amongst his people. He set up a tent or a tabernacle in Israel. And so he was living among them. And so their, their obedience and their blessing was, was due to God's presence and grace right, right with them. And the interesting thing is that this echoes the function of the church today. And guess what? We've got a chance to do it a bit better than the Israelites did. And one of the reasons we, we can do it better is we can read what they did. So we know how they stuffed up. We know how badly they stuffed up. They know what, we know what caused them to stuff up. We, we should be able to avoid that, shouldn't we? Um, because that, that's our function. We are, we are set aside. One of the words for the church is, is this funny word called ecclesia. Uh, and you know, we get the, the clergy comes from that word. It actually just means the set apart ones. So as a church, God has set apart, not because we're special. I know we like to think we're special. But God set us apart the same way he set the nation of Israel apart, to actually be an example to the nations of what it's like to live in God's presence, of what it's like to be a loving, kind community, of what it's like to love your neighbour as yourself. This is what what it's like to be unselfish and caring and loving. Some of you are thinking, I wish you hadn't said that. Life's hard enough without being loving other people, forgiving people, being kind. I can hardly get by day to day and not without being nice to somebody else. And first, what put other people first? And yet, this is, we're part of God's plan. This isn't just a trivial thing that we do here. This has is, this is been foreshadowed in, in this nation. And so God, God is going to move this nation forward. He's actually going to get them to do some things that are going to bring the presence of a Messiah to this earth. And we're going to talk about that next week. So can I, can I ask you to stand? We need to, we need to come away, I think, with this idea. Because does anybody know how old the Old Testament is? Oh, very old. Yes, that is the right answer. And I think, you know, my father is very old, uh, but he's not that old. You're right. But you know, we, we look at anything over a hundred for us is really old. And to think about people who have died and you know, two, three hundred years ago, they're so old as to be relevant a lot of the time. And so people who died centuries ago are even less relevant. And we, we can't even, we have trouble visualising the world that they lived in. In fact, part of our, the, the problem we have in modern culture is that we read our own history, uh, even, even hundreds of years ago, and we look at it with such disgust that they weren't enlightened people like us. And we actually try and rewrite history. We actually vilify people in history because they don't meet our standards. 
I mean, that's a slippery slope to go on because if you thought about what the next generation is going to think of us. And so this is, this is something, you know, 4,000 years old. And yet, amazingly enough, the words of the Old Testament have as much relevance for us today as they did for the people who spoke it and wrote it back then. So we, we need to be careful we don't throw away what God has given us. He's given us wisdom and grace to actually do what he's asked us to do. But the first step in doing that is to actually say, I'm on board. You know, I, I apologise in advance. I think I've made it sound a bit difficult. And I don't apologise for that. Anything worthwhile requires some gumption. And following Jesus requires gumption. But it has incredible rewards. But we actually have to make that choice. God doesn't drag us kicking and screaming into the kingdom. You must believe in me. You must be a child of God. He, he says the invitation is always there. But we have to take that first step. And I want to invite you here, if you're here this morning, you've actually never taken that step of saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a child of God. I want to acknowledge that to the world. Then I want to offer you that opportunity just to say to God this morning, I want to follow you. Or you may have done that before, but you know that the path you're walking is not the path God has set you on. And that you actually need to realign your life with God's life. God, God's cool with that. God loves to re-invite people who have drifted away from his family to set them back on the path he has for them. And so I want us to pray a prayer together. And if you're here this morning and you've never prayed this prayer or a similar one, or you, need, you know you need to pray it again to get your life back right with Christ, I want you to think seriously about the words you pray. Can I actually just, uh, for a moment, get everyone to close their eyes? And if, if that is you this morning, if, you, if you've never prayed that prayer or you, you're praying it knowing that you need to come back to Jesus, can I just see your hand? Can you just raise it while nobody's looking around so that I know who I'm praying for? But we'll all pray. Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? We'll all pray together. Because I think it's great, even if you are closely connected with God today, to remind ourselves of that bond. Okay, can you open your eyes and just pray after me? Dear Lord Jesus, from this moment on, I turn away from my old life and I turn to you for a new life as your son or as your daughter. I now proclaim that I am a child of God through your grace and through the sacrifice on the cross. I am now able to be a child of God. I accept your invitation from this moment on. I am yours. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Um, I'm going to hand back to Kirsty to close the service this morning. Thank you all.
Thank you, Pastor Chris. Awesome. Yeah, you can clap. <laughs>